I'm Mike Miller of the Denver Nuggets, and you're listening to Double Clutch Podcast. Welcome back to the Double Clutch Podcast. I'm Mike Miller, and as usual, I'm joined by Joe Hulbert. Hi there, Mike. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good. Very good. I'm really, as I said, like, I'm really enjoying the fact that the clocks haven't changed yet. So the games are all an hour earlier, which Extra is Extra basketball. It's always good. It's always good. And uh, in the most anticipated comeback since Kevin Love's injury and K- KD's potential return in time for the playoffs, we have on the line <laughs> Matthew Wellington. You've been building that one up, I can tell. How long did it take you to write that? Uh, I, I, I thought of it in between naps on the train home this evening. That is impressive. <laughs> Considering the chaos that has gone on in London today, that's very impressive indeed. Yeah. No, welcome back, man. How you doing? I'm a lot better than I was. Safe to say it's been a pretty interesting ride the last sort of month and, well, two months really now. But, um, yeah, I've had quite a bit of time in the last few weeks to watch a bit of basketball. I've, I've not been very well. I was not very well at all. Um, but I'm, I'm getting there. I'll be back to work soon as well, which will be a return to normality for me. But coming on here and just doing this for like an hour or so is, you know, a lot better than I was three, four weeks ago when I, I literally really couldn't do much. So, yeah, awesome. I'm back. Good to have you back. Um, Making a Kobe-like return. <laughs> uh, the first topic we're going to hit tonight is is not a very fun one, to be honest. Uh, last yesterday, so that would be Tuesday, uh, it was announced that Jerry Krause, the former GM of the Chicago Bulls, died at age 77. Um, he was a particularly divisive character, so I'm intrigued to see what people think of, of him. Um but it's just a, a bit of it's a huge loss for the NBA family. This is the guy who orchestrated the greatest team to ever win a title with the seventy-two and ten Bulls. Um, you guys you got any thoughts on the guy? No, I just think that I'd probably air what a lot of the NBA world's been airing recently, and the fact that he had such an impact on the modern game and has always been so interested, even up until his death, in like the way the NBA is run and how franchises are making their decisions and I I was reading somewhere earlier on that during the summer when Oklahoma City lost Kevin Durant to the Golden State Warriors he actually rang up Sam Presti and and said look I'm really curious to see what what you guys are doing and and to how you're going to rebuild with with Kevin gone and apparently Sam Presti like got on the plane and flew to Chicago and saw him that afternoon and had a long chat about it and he's really respected Neil Olshi Masai Yuri over in Toronto they've all spoken really highly of Jerry Krause the last sort of few seasons and he's just someone who is synonymously linked to those Chicago Bull teams and obviously helped bring Scotty Pippen in and helped f- frame that Mike- Michael Jordan sort of era which you know helped make basketball the superpower of a sport that it is today yeah I agree he's he's he's, he's responsible for Pippen Oakley Horace Grant, who coached Maul Crawford, Elton Brand, Ron Artest, Tyson Chandler. The, the, the list of decent guys he's drafted significantly outstrips the list of rubbish guys like Brad Sellers. Um, and he's, I, I think it's like a, one of the, it's like a dying breed. And I, and I know I use that term quite, that's probably in a bit of inappropriate, but like he was, he was a character that we don't tend to see anymore um, in the league. He, he's like the words they use around describing him are things like sleuth. Joe, did like did, did you you probably never heard of the well? Yeah, I'm not saying that, but you, you're from a different generation, so you might have picked up after this guy had left the league. What what was your sort of thoughts on him? Well, I knew him more from his baseball exploits because um, he joined the White Sox 
as a scout about, I want to say, seven years ago, and he ended up at the Arizona Diamondbacks. So, but I knew he was responsible for building the Bulls teams. And what I mean he knew about him was his um, his rocky relationship with Jordan over the trading of Charles Oakley. That was the really, the main thing I knew about him. But I, I personally, I quite like it when um, when GMs approve them right over players. I don't know why. I just I kind of like that because it shows. Because obviously, with the way player power is going in sports, it's sometimes refreshing to see a GM kind of be able to make a big decision against the the will of a star and um, and sort of be able to see it through. And but that's mainly what I knew about him. He, as you're right, he did seem to be very divisive. Um, I don't really know who to compare him to. This is the league now because there's not really many GMs who are that outspoken. Yeah, that 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 relationship with Jordan was certainly tempestuous. Uh, <laughs> like over the Charles Oakley trade, if anyone hasn't read the Jordan Rules by uh, is it Sam Smith, somebody Smith, I'm looking at it on my wall now. Uh, yeah, uh, Sam Sam Smith. If you if you check that out, it, it's it's really sort of an insider look at how this relationship broke down and. Um, the Bulls team nicknamed Kraus Crumbs because he would constantly have like pastry <laughs> remnants around his face and stuff. It was really quite brutal. What some of the things they did to him. Um, there's comments he's made in the past as well. He didn't where he's been sort of you know he says one thing and it gets quoted differently. So the big quote from him was, "Players and coaches don't win championships. Organizations win championships." And that really uh, got on MJ's nerve, but. But this is the guy who who's responsible for bringing Phil Jackson into the NBA as a coach. Um, he was he was with the Bulls for eighteen years, the loyal well, as a GM, and and that's just a symbol of Reinsdorf's loyalty to this guy as well that he chose to keep Kraus on as GM instead of trying to hold that Pippin Jordan Jackson triumvirate together. It's 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 you know that should so show how sort of high regard he was held in. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's that keen eye for the young talent that you, you went on about. I think a lot of people remember him for Elton Brand, Jamal Crawford, like you said. It's just those are guys who had a, a pretty big impact in the league. You look at Jamal Crawford still hanging around now. And I don't know, the Bulls are one of these franchises that, because of what happened in the 90s, they've got huge expectations. Even you look at today's team with, with Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler, uh, they're always going to have this above them. And, and Jerry Krause and uh, Reinsdorf are two of the guys who sort of have made basketball, bas- uh, Chicago, sorry, Chicago basketball what it is and it's, it's just a big loss for the NBA world really and I'm sure there's lots of general managers and scouts and, and head coaches and players around the NBA who are, are saddened by the loss. So, Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we'll move on from that now but sticking with the Chicago Bulls in, in some way or shape, we're going to look at the Eastern Conference playoff race and at the minute there's six games separating the fifth seed and the 11th seed. Uh, Joe... What's your what's your take on what's happening in the East? Who can you see squeezing in? I think the Hawks are going to be fine. Um, I think they've got the best, other than maybe Spolstra, they've got a good coach. Uh, they'll be fine. I'm I'm very concerned for the Pacers. The strength of schedule left. They've got the toughest schedule out of the chasing teams. I watched them against... I can't even remember who I watched. I watched them against someone the other day. Oh, Utah. And they nearly blew a 20-point lead. They they really concern me. They're inconsistent. On the road, they're 11-24. and 24, So I can see the paces sliding out. I'm also very concerned for the Pistons as well. You you can't lose to the Brooklyn Nets. You know, that's, that's not acceptable really anymore. And they've got a lot of road games, the Pistons as well. I think... 
I think 10 of their 13 games left are on the road, something like that. So I'm concerned for them. My take is, though, I think the Pacers will just about stay in and I think the Bucks and the Heat will get in as well. I think the Bulls, without Wade, they I mean, they, they already lacked offense anyway, but without Wade, it's even worse. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. The only thing that that is even sort of a glimmer of hope for me with the, the Bulls situations, even with Wade out, having looked at their schedule, it's ridiculously easy. <laughs> like, I, I looked what's what they've got left. They've got the Pistons left, the 76ers. Okay, Pistons could be tough. 76ers got nothing to play for. Uh, then they've got the Bucks, the Cavs, and the Hawks. So that's three playoff teams. But then they've got the Pelicans, who are hit and miss. Then they've got the Knicks, 76ers, Nets, Magic, and Nets. So their last five games are teams that have got nothing to play for so I, I, I think through scheduling they perhaps could sneak it but for me I think the biggest sort of disappointment looking at this running is how far the Hornets have dropped it's remarkable that at the start of the season we thought this was their year they were going to be the team that that finally stepped up and and they've just faded back down into obscurity yeah and they've lost the tiebreakers to Detroit and Chicago already so it makes their job even tougher I think Chicago like you said if you look at that, that schedule they've not they've won I think they've won like two games in the last three weeks or something stupid but they're playing good basketball they lost narrowly to the Toronto Raptors the other night uh, 122 120 in overtime uh, in a game which was basically Jimmy Butler versus uh, DeMar DeRozan uh, it was an incredible game great fun to watch um, there was a bit of a fight and a scrap in that one which I'm sure we'd, we've, we're going to bring up at some point but um Sort of Robin Lopez throwing some punches at uh, Sergio Barker that all got a bit a bit messy. Um, I don't know. There's some weird fights popping around the NBA at the moment, and I'm just wondering whether a lot of these players are getting a bit peed off with the fact that people from the, another generation of the NBA are coming out and going on about the whole league being soft. And we seem to have seen a rise in fights since all this talk came out. But um, that could be a, another podcast, I guess. But it's a funny theory. Um, but I think that I think you're right. I think they've got some key games. Obviously, the playoff contenders that they play in Cleveland and Atlanta they'll probably struggle with but they could beat the Bucks they can definitely beat the 76ers and Rajon Rondo as much as I hate to say it is playing incredible basketball he's arguably been the Bulls best player since the All-Star break so and he's still not inviting Ray Allen to the uh, the reunion no no <laughs> I saw that <laughs> so what we're saying then essentially is is we reckon that the the current eight seed or, or the eight the eight seeds are going to stick as they are, not necessarily in where they land, but the teams that are sitting in the playoffs now, the Heat, the Bucks, the Pacers, Hawks, Raptors, Wizards, Celtics, Cavs, isn't really going to change. Is that, is that fair to yeah, say? I think, I th- yeah, I think Chicago will struggle to get anywhere above eighth. Like, I think if they get in, they get in at eighth, which is, I think, what I've prob- I probably marked them down at the start of the season. But um, there's just too much talent, I think, on that team for for them to not scrape their way in but what Eric Spolster has been doing with Miami and I know Joe's spoken about it in recent weeks like that's been just incredible and the re-emergence of Dion Waiters as sort of a go-to guy has been slightly scary I just wonder what that team would be like if Chris Bosch was still playing like they'd probably be a couple of spots up in the Eastern Conference but Detroit, Milwaukee I think they're kind of they're locked in it's just a case of who finishes around sort of 7th and 8th yeah, let's 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 hone in a little bit on the fourth and fifth seed. Because what we've got here in in the Pacers and the Hawks is two former sort of uh, Eastern Conference heavyweights. Essentially, they were they were they had a, a decent run, and f- for me anyway, that it seems to me now that their window of success for, is 
is closing. They're, both teams seem to be sliding down. Um, we've had paces, you know, Joe mentioned them slightly earlier. Um, Paul George said this week that they lack an identity, but isn't his role as the star on the paces to give them their identity? Yeah, they lack an identity, but I think if these two play each other in the first round of the playoffs, I mean, I think a lot of people would put their money on the paces. Like, I know offence to the Hawks. I know they have a great system and Mike Budenholzer gets that team to work, but I just think come the playoff time, Paul George, no matter how dodgy he's been the last few months, he'll step up and he'll actually make an impact. And we saw that from the paces last season. Like They were really mediocre in the regular season, got into the playoffs, and they gave uh, Toronto all kinds of hell in that first round, which... You know, nobody really, really saw coming, and I, I, I don't know. I don't know where the Hawks are going. I mean, Tommy writes for the site. Like he's a Hawks fan, and I, I think he's wrote several pieces recently about what's going on with Dwight Howard and where, where does this franchise go? And you'd have that whole really interesting aspect of Jeff Teague versus former team and Dennis Schroeder versus Jeff Teague, and I think that'd be quite a feisty playoff sort of round to get. Would be those two, but I. I I, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't really know what more to say about the the sort of the the state of some of the teams in the East at the moment. We've got like an elite, and then we've got everybody else. Yeah, uh, Joe, Joe, what do you think about the Pacers situation? Well, I was very vocal against their off season. I thought it was. I mean, I thought the firing of Frank Vogel was bizarre. I think Vogel, I think we'd all agree, is one of the better coaches in the league. They replaced him with Nate McMillan, who hadn't coached for 10 years. It wasn't quite that long, but he hadn't coached for a while. And Larry Bird wants to build this pace team, so he signed Al Jefferson, kept Monte Ellis. It's just, it's a bit bizarre to me. Um, We were just talking about Jerry Krause, and Jerry Krause, towards the end of his reign in Chicago, kind of, you know, lost his marbles a bit. And I think we're seeing that with Larry Bird because he thought Vogel was the problem when Vogel wasn't the problem. The problem was that they still had all these, like, defensive players who offered nothing on offense. They lost David West, Roy Hibbert, Lance Stevenson. So I think going forward, I think George is going to leave. I think he's done there, whether it's the Lakers, the Heat, the Mavericks, whoever he joins, I think he's done in Indiana. Luckily, they they've got Miles Turner, who I guess you could build round. But if it was a if it was a series between Indiana and Atlanta, I think it would be like it'd be one of those series you watch and neither of them really want to win it because I, <laughs> it would really would be. It's just it's just two teams who are kind of sliding, but they're still in there somehow. That was kind of like Boston and the Hawks a few years ago, where they didn't want to face Cleveland. <laughs> it's yeah. just like no one wants to win this bloody series. <laughs> One of the things I found interesting about Bird's vision is that he talks about uh, a bit there being a lifespan on coaches. I think he said it was like two years and then they're, they're sort of done. And it made me think like he's been in that role a few years now. How, how long does he think he's, you know, he, he must be feeling, he's stagnating in my opinion. Like he must have a similar vision for for a lifespan of a GM too. It's a good job he doesn't work for the San Antonio Spurs, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the thing that worries me about that though is he, he fired Rick Carlisle. And look at what Rick Carlisle's doing in Dallas and what he's done in Dallas. So Rick Carlisle has disproven that theory by the job he's done in Dallas. And Rick Carlisle never moans about the players that he's got. He just gets on with it. Like It doesn't matter if Dirk's out injured and he's got a bunch of ragtag guys. He's always just... He, I think he's behind Pop. He's the best coach and, you know, second best coach in the NBA. And he's 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 enough to get you like three or four extra wins 
a season and yeah the way he was treated a few years back was was just not right really no but speaking of good coaches bud hawks is he the reason they're still as good as they are uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. so. <laughs> to me, like you know, two years ago, sixty wins. They then they then lost Carroll in free agency, Horford in free agency a season later. They traded Teague and Corver. They've only got one guy left over from that roster, and they're still scrapping through. I don't see Schroeder as being a franchise point guard. I don't see Howard as being capable of of contributing regularly at, at the level they're going to need for it for one of their star players and I just to see them where they are now I've, I've, I've just got to take my hat off to Bud because I think he's just doing a, a fantastic job he, he's one of the top coaches in this league I know that Joe agrees with that as well um, but what's the future for Atlanta they're basically they're, they're trying to stay afloat when they're really just prolonging the sinking in my opinion well, I think they're going to lose Paul Mills out this summer. I don't see why he'd stay there because they, I think they were contenders when they had that Millsap-Hawford team. Yeah, that's that 60-win season, they were legit contenders to get to the finals. But then they're not anymore. You know, I I think Schroeder... I'm not a big Jeff Teague fan, but I think Schroeder's a downgrade. I mean, they're 26th in offensive efficiency at the moment, which is just... With the way the league's going, that's not good enough, really. You, they they struggle to score points. They don't have a lot of outside shooting. The downgrade from Horford to Howard is, has been pretty obvious so far. So they should enter a full rebuild. But is a Mike Budenholzer team going to do that? I don't think so. I don't think he let them. I think they tried to do it before the transfer window, uh, for the transfer window, for the trade deadline shut, and they obviously didn't move away Millsap. And I think that would have been the, the key to everything. But you're right. They, I don't think they've been a contending team since they lost Demario Carroll. Like with, with Demario Carroll on that team, you had a guy who could guard the best shooting guards and the best small forwards in this league, and that's that's what you need to contend in both the conferences. You need someone who can play those star players, and they don't have that now. And arguably, they don't have anybody on the, that team who can get them 25, 30 points when when they need it most. And come playoff time, you will need somebody to sort of carry that burden and. You know, Dennis Schroeder's not going to do it. Dwight Howard certainly isn't going to do it. Like he's had, you know, fits and sparks this season of, of good play. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not entirely sure him and Paul Millsap get on great. But um, they've been a, a, a mismatch all season, and it's just a shame because you know how good Mike Budenholzer is, and he's got that sort of San Antonio Spurs attitude in him, where you all pass the basketball, and that's how you win games. And they've tried it and it just doesn't work when you've got Dwight Howard clogging up the paint and Dennis Schroeder who is a bit of a ball hog yeah no I, I agree with that I think um, I think the way they play is is it's moved away from the, the ball movement that they had uh, with four of those uh, those now departed players uh, you know making it into the all-star team things like that um, for me it's <sighs> It's really weird watching the way the league's moving to, to pace and space and they've gone with two back-to-the-back bigs in the post like they're supposed to be a, a 90s team. It's it's weird. and you know, given Yeah, and they run the pick and roll on every play. Yeah, and then and then we're not even going to mention Kent Bazemore and his 70 million, are we? <laughs> 
All right, we'll, we'll leave that one there. But uh, hey, I saw him at the Lakers. He's, uh, he he can keep the seventy million. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was a big fan of his last year, and then again, like, and I know Joe's a believer in the uh, the contract year. It's looking like one of those sort of deals. Um, but we're all in agreement. Bud is a great coach, and we're going to stay on the topic of coaches because on the previous pod we talked about who we thought coach of the year would be. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna flip it today because uh, we're gonna look at coaches on the hot seat. And uh, last week, Tom Zilla, uh, for the first time in the last at least thirty five years, a coach hasn't been fired during the season which is mental to me. And the only reason we don't know if it's further than 35 years is because records were a bit sketchy back then. Um, <laughs> so I thought I thought we'd just go around and see who Someone is listening now and yelling at you. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, I, it's, I, my source is Tom Zilla, and I, I think he's reputable enough, so I'm, I'm sticking with him. Uh, but if you, <laughs> if you can find a, a different time, then, yeah, sure, let us know. Uh, so I just want to get some idea from you guys as to who you think could be on the hot seat. I'm not saying anyone's going to get fired in the next two weeks because that seems just stupid. Um, but this summer, there's going to be there's got to be some kind of movement uh, of coaches. So, is there anyone in particular you think is uh, in in the firing line? I'm going to say it because I, I reckon Joe will say it, but I think Alvin Gentry might have an interesting couple of months. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to see if I can go three for three with what Joe's going to say. I've got it written down here. <laughs> Uh, but de- I, I definitely think Alvin Gentry's in there. I, th- I think Doc Rivers is going to be in there, which I think is a bit of a bit of a different one. And I think Hoiberg's going to be in there at some point as well. The Clippers have never recovered from that playoff loss to the Houston Rockets. Like, <laughs> they, they just they haven't. They just haven't. They've just been consistently hung over for the past few seasons. The thing is uh, with the Clippers, <laughs> the Clippers have played the same way for the last three years. He doesn't. He doesn't change anything. Like they they still play the same pick and roll heavy lob city stuff. He doesn't adapt anything. It's like if you watch last night's game for the Clippers and you watched a game from Doc Rivers' first year, it is exactly the same. And that's fine when you're contending at the top, but they're not. They've got to do stuff differently. And he he again he has wasted a roster of, in my opinion, Hall of Fame level players. He's completely wasted them. He's got three Hall of Fame players on that team. He has, yep. And are we still counting Paul Pierce as a, a Hall of Fame player? Well, I, wasn't I know counting I, him. I was, I was counting Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, and Blake Griffin. You think DeAndre's a Hall of Fame player? He'll be in there for his defensive play okay. alone. Yeah. I think. Okay. Yeah, I think he. And also with J, uh, the saying that people use in uh, NFL is the Hall of Very Good for players who are just outside. <laughs> I think you could put. I think Terrell you could Owens. Put J, yeah, exactly. People like that. I think you could put JJ Reddick in the Hall of Very Good because he's like people forget how good he is because that's a team no one watches. So he's completely wasted this trio, and I really I hope they don't stay because they they're just being. I mean, Paul was more competitive in New Orleans than he has been in um in the in LA. In my opinion, I truly believe that. So so obviously. CP3's contract's up at the... Well, he's got a player option. So's Blake Griffin and so's Reddick. They could all walk this summer. What, what's it going to take for them to stay? And is it only them staying that's going to save Rivers' job? Los Angeles and a lot of money. Yep. The problem is with Rivers, he doesn't want part... You've got to remember, he left Boston because he didn't want to rebuild. Yeah, exactly. He asked for a trade. So, 
And but that's the thing with him. I don't know why a contender would appoint him because I know he's got a championship 2008. But look at that team. But look at what they had there. He's he's not someone for me who you get in and go. Yeah, he's going to win us a ring. I I tr- I really believe that. Do you know what's interesting? It's is that he's so anti a rebuild. But last week there's this rumor coming back that the the magic of flirting with him about coming back there, and I'm just sat there looking at it like. Who who in their right mind wants to go to the magic right now? There, it's 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 a mess. It's so no, well, you see how happy Sergio Barker was still to get traded. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's crazy. So who else have you got on the hot seat? Then we've covered Rivers Gentry. We've we've said many times this season we didn't think he was going to last. Who else is it for you, Joe? Mine, mine's a little bit of a hot take because it's oh, uh. a team we. It's a team we slag off a lot. I think Jeff Hornacek should be on the hot seat. <laughs> I, I truly believe that. You don't have to slag Knicks fans off or Knicks coaches and Knicks he's players. He's on my list show. too, though, not to law. I, I, <laughs> we, we go at the Knicks a lot, but you, I look at their roster. Derek Rose, Courtney Lee, Carmelo Anthony, Kristaps Porzingis, Willie Hernan Gomez. That Super team. team. Have, that team should have more than 27 wins. I, I, re- I well, even if it's not a super team, there's still some decent players on there. I just they've looked rubbish all year, the Knicks, and I don't know whether that's Phil Jackson telling him to play a certain team. I I can't really believe that personally. They, I think he's got, I think he's going to be on the hot seat. See, I've got him in a in a different pile. I've got, I've got those who might be fired, those whose jobs are safe, and then I've got Hornacek, who's like, well, he might be fired, but he might also just decide he doesn't want any more of Phil Jackson's crap. Because like it, you, you, that can't be fun being part of that circus, and I know that's probably what you get because of the market you're in. But he's, it, it's, it sounds like you know, it's a poison chalice. It's a horrible job to have, and he's not got he's got players. But like we said at the start of the season, this is a this would have been a great team in 2011. It's just it might even be later than 2011, but you know what I mean. It's they they were a great team a few seasons ago. It's uh, it's yeah. I, I think he's his job isn't secure, secure, but I wouldn't be surprised at the same time if he's the kind of person who just like says, you know, what, I've had, I've had enough of this. Um, another name I want to throw in there, Stan Van Gundy. Do you reckon? Do you reckon his his job might be on the line? Well, we chatted about this a few weeks ago, and I said that one of the reasons Van Gundy could be is because he is president and coach. So he is in he is in charge of the roster as well. So he can't he can't be one of those coaches who goes, Yeah, so GM's fault, he's not giving me good players. He's the GM as well. So and he said around the deadline that this team isn't good enough. Well, that's on him because he's the one who's drafted these players. He's the one who decided Andre Drummond was a max contract player. He's the one who gave Reggie Jackson a four year extension. And he's the one who stockpiled all these assets and didn't package them to go and land I don't know, Paul Millsap or Blake Griffin, whoever, Goran Dragic, whoever you want to go and land. So I, I'm with you. I think he's in a bit of trouble as well. Yeah, what frustrates me about him as well is that, like, he's he's a system guy. And he, and we, we've said about system guys before, it, it only works with the right personnel. But you also need the quality of personnel as well. And he, he is trying to create... Orlando 2.0 but it seems to be more like Orlando 0.5 it's just they're just not they're just not that good and the whole league's moved on since then and he doesn't seem to be willing to adapt in in that way well in in, in my thoughts anyway 
I don't understand Andre Drummond. Like, go back two seasons ago, and he was like an up and coming, great young talent who was stuck with Greg Monroe. And then he had that breakout year after Monroe left. And now this year, he's kind of, I don't know, he started really well, started the season great, and then he's just disappeared and fell off a cliff. And I think it's a tough league to be a centre in nowadays. I really do. And I was, I was just looking at. Um, uh, Ivaka Zubic earlier on for the Lakers and coming into the league and being a centre these days is just it, it must be a nightmare because the league's gone completely the opposite direction in the case of space and pace and, and sort of you know moving the ball and there is no like the all-star centres they don't exist anymore it shows you everything when Zaza Pachulia sort of leads the, the run-ins in the all-star votes and I just I don't know someone like Drummond to me I don't understand why Stan Van Gundy can't get the best out of him, but then again, he's a completely different specimen to what Van Gundy dealt with in Orlando when he was with Dwight Howard. Like Dwight Howard was always going to be Superman for at least the first half of his career until he had the back problems. Like he's, he's he was always an incredibly young, athletic talent, and Drummond for me. I, I, some part of his game just doesn't work and I don't know whether it's just the environment he's in whether he was just fed up of being behind Greg Monroe for those few years and whether that stifled his development or not because I, that can happen when I mean, we've seen it before players get stuck you know on stuck on the roster behind someone else in front of them and they've got another problem uh, well the, the, the Wizards have got a similar problem with their small forward position you've got some really talented guys and they were they were sort of stifled behind Jared Dudley the last few years and now they've been allowed to break out and look what the Wizards are doing hmm. I, I think part of his, his struggles is the fact that he, he's limited in what he can do on the court whereas the trend now just is, is to go for big guys who can do it all whereas five years ago you wouldn't even got these you know it'd have been it'd have been rare to see a big guy shoot threes and now it's so it's an ex, it's an expected sort of trait for them to have they need to be able to step out and spread the floor and if your guy can only shoot sort of 35 percent from the free throw line you don't really want him going outside as I, I just wonder whether that's part of what's limiting him yeah he's a great rebounder but if your offense is is that terrible then then what sort of value overall do you do you bring to the team because you don't need to be his size to be a decent rebounder no and that's that's that, that is a great point and that's where coming back to where we are in, in Europe I think European forwards power forwards and centres you look at Christos Porzingis Zubac who I just mentioned they're coming into the league Willie, uh, Willie Herman Gomez for the Knicks like they're coming into the league and they've got such they've got a really refined post game and they've got some you know they've got great feet which means they can move around in the paint incredibly easily a lot better they've got a lot more they're a lot lighter on their feet than a lot of the sort of American um, counterparts without sort of slagging them all off and then they've got this ability to stretch the floor and go out and shoot threes this is why everyone's raving about Carl Anthony Towns because like he can do it and they're the but look, you know, there's the Europeans who've been doing it for the last few years, and they don't get any, they're anywhere near as much attention. Not necessarily because they're, you know, European. But Carl Anthony Towns is the guy who's come in, and everyone's like, oh, he's revolutionising the revolutionising the position. It's like, well, no, there's like six or seven other guys, young guys, who are coming in and doing that, and it's just the norm now. I think Andre Drummond might be the last of that generation that was drafted for their size and their strength and their ability to crash the boards, instead of their ability to score. That option should that. The way Detroit works is that should funnel down to Reggie Jackson or Tobias Harris. It should go to the responsibility of scoring should never be never be on that front court, and it just it, th- that isn't the way Stan Van Gundy works. The thing that concerns me about Drummond is he's not a good defender either. You know, forget the off forget offense for now. I know that's the way the league's going, but if Drummond was a good defender, like a lockdown rim protector, 
he'd make a good career for himself. His effort worries me at times. He's, he reminds me of Cousins in the sense that he just kind of languishes around the court. You know, there's no urgency to his play. And obviously, as you've, you guys are just offensively, he just offers nothing. I don't see how people can look in because Dwight Howard was... Dwight Howard was dominant for eight. He was an MVP level player for seven or eight years. He was great in the pick and roll. He could dunk, you know, he could do the the lobs. But Drummond is he's not even half the player Dwight Howard was. Well yeah, Dwight Dwight picked up the three peat defensive player, didn't he? So <laughs> if if you like you're saying, like Drummond's lacking D, or Dwight brought that as well, and it scares me that I'm I'm giving Dwight love because I I actually enjoy hating on him far 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 too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, but okay, let's let's leave the the Dwight, big men. Dwight, so, sorry, d- 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 Dwight gave them the ability that Magic team to to stretch the floor before everyone else was doing it, and then it was kind of like, oh look, Stan Van Gundy's revolutionised everything. It's like, well, no, he's putting a big man. He's just putting shooters around, and I think that's to give him some form of credit because it sounds like we're just bashing him. But last year they did he did go out and grab Jody Meeks, and I think that was part of his plan was to do the same again. And Jody Meeks just got injured and you know he's in Orlando now and I just think it all kind of backfired on him and then he's been thrown a dilemma because he had Stanley Johnson come in last year when he drafted him six foot seven small guard coming out of University of Arizona hell of a defensive talent and then you can partner him along alongside the three-year Contavious Colwell Pope and that completely changes the way this team has to be coaches and I, this might just be that progressive adaption season where that I don't know if that that's not even a phrase but they, I like they it. it's having, a good phrase. They, yeah, it's a funny <laughs> phrase. They've got to adapt, and we saw it with the Celtics. Like when Brad Stevens came in, it didn't just click straight away. It took a few years for them to to figure it out, and they were thrown, you know, bones. Look, we're going to get KD. Oh wait, we didn't get KD. We're going to get the number one pick. Oh crap, we didn't get the number one pick. So now what are we going to do? And I think that's what Stan Van Gundy's been given here. He wanted to go in and build a team in the vein of the Orlando Magic squad that he had, and it just didn't work out for him. And now he's been you know, shoulder with Cantavius Caldwell Pope, who is a fabulous young guard, and then Stanley Johnson, who I think last year in the playoffs showed anybody that he can play up against the big guys in this league. And I think you've got to look at those two as being the way you're going. So whether that means you move Drummond or Reggie Jackson or somebody in the summer, we'll have to see. I mean Drummond was floated around and so was Reggie before the, the trade deadline finished. So we'll have to see. But they are a an interesting concoction of talents basically yeah, it, but that's what frustrates me you say about you know him, tr- him trying to recreate the, the magic thing what, what he did in Orlando was was pioneering at the time and this is a copycat league so very quickly it's it's replicated to a similar level and it becomes a not redundant but it's just it's it's it becomes the norm we saw it with the way that Golden State switched two years ago and now everyone does it Miami small ball exactly and to, to go in and just be a, this is what really annoys me about system coaches is to go in and then just go you know what that worked back then it's going to work now I'm going to do it again and then and the whole league's moved on from there it's, it, it can't you can't be that sort of blinkered in your thinking you need to you need to have some sort of innovation which is why you get guys like Pop who just reinvent teams year in year out and, and manage to stick around so long that's, I think that's my biggest bugbear with system coaches that they're just they're not multi-dimensional if that makes sense they yeah oh <laughs> would, would would you would you just swapping conferences really quickly like going and looking at the utah jazz and what quinn snyder's done for them like when quinn snyder went in to utah their whole goal was right we're going to shift out all the old dudes and then we're going to draft young and we're going to you know we're going to we're going to sign young free agents and sort of 
proliferate sort of role players that will help them out like Joe Johnson and stuff the, the last last summer is that the way that a coach should go in because they had a plan and he's just sort of stuck with it whereas Stan Van Gundy seems to go into an organisation and be like right this is what I want to do very much in the same way as Dot Rivers did in Los Angeles and I know Joe's has hated on him a lot before because you know he's in charge of everything so it is effectively their fault but I think I don't know Quinn Snyder just, it seems to me like a, a guy you've got to look at and have a lot of respect for because he went in and the organisation were like look this is what we're going to do and he was just like okay I'm just going to work with it and he's worked with it and worked with it and worked with it and boom playoffs I think I think this probably points more towards the the difficulty in blending the two roles of, of GM and coach because you, you kind of need that check and balance and you need to you need to be able to outsource ideas and, and, and have sounding boards and stuff because if if you've got one guy left on his own devices then you know and, he, and he's not answerable to anyone then may, maybe this is the sort of situation that you see which is why we've got Doc doing what Doc's doing and, and Stan doing you know whatever Stan's doing so I, I, th- I think maybe that's part of it I, but I definitely think that you need guys that um, and you know, I, I said on last week's pod that I'd underestimated um, Scott Brooks and his ability to, to man manage essentially. And, and I think that's that's a really big part of this. You can't just go in and say, look, this is the system that worked once. We'll do it again. That might be one of the reasons the triangle's not working in New York. Who knows? Um, but <laughs> I think they've got to be a people person nowadays as well. Exactly. Like, it, it, the, the NBA especially is so social. Like, if a coach has a falling out of a player it's on Twitter within like four hours like you saw it with um, DeMarcus Cousins a, a few years back and it was just like you know you didn't get any of that when Mike Malone came in I just think uh, and Billy Donovan's a guy like that who even Kevin Durant who left them in the summer like he always speaks really highly of Billy Donovan whereas you've got the Bulls players coming out and they'll they'll go and bash um, oh I forgot his name Fred Hoiberg and it's like you can't have teams doing that and I think it works it works both ways so I think the coach at the moment is in the midst of some sort of development because they're trying to catch up with the social age as well as yeah. you know the, the 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 sort of the revolution that's going on on the court at the moment if you can call it that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, but let's leave, leave that one there. You mentioned you mentioned bashing. Um, so as you said earlier, there was a couple of fights this league, or, or well, one of them was a fight and one of them was a, a little scuffle. We'll call it. Uh, the first one was uh, OKC. Uh, and, and the dubs oh, that was the scuffle yeah that was the scuffle so Steph Curry I've, I've written almost fighting uh, with <laughs> Samaj Kristen uh, it was in a jump ball uh, situation they just got a little bit testy and, and then got held back by everyone um, well he just walks across the front of him doesn't he and yeah and then he gets a bit which in the, ter- in the interpretation the of the rules he's allowed to do so yeah. so do, do, you, do you think this is part of the the general the fake rivalry between those two teams. Well, this is what I want to say. Is this becoming a rivalry, or is it is it no. just a fake rivalry? Why not? It's not right. Here's why it's not a rivalry, right? And I actually came prepared for this, which is amazing because anyone who knows this podcast knows I never come prepared for anything. Right? The Warriors <laughs> are four and zero versus the Thunder yep. this year. They've won every game by sixteen points or more. That's seventy nine points combined. And when Draymond Green switches out on Russell Westbrook, they have no idea how to stop it. And since the All-Star break, the Warriors are giving up like 99.2 points per 100 possessions. So with Draymond on the court, they've got an incredible defensive rate. And then when he comes off it, it's minus 12.2. And 
that game the other night was so annoying as someone who so desperately wants the Thunder to beat them because last year in the playoffs we had such an incredible series between these two teams Kevin Durant it was such a big difference maker and I don't think anyone really quite figured that out until this year seeing this series because it's been so easy and you see KD in the building laughing when Steph's hitting threes and uh, it's not a rivalry it, for a rivalry it has to be competitive this is not competitive it's it's a blowout every game the Warriors know they're going to win um, Clay's got a special spot on that Chesapeake Arena court floor where he just seems to nail everything from Steph Curry goes in there and pretty much struts his stuff every game even before the game there's half the arena in there just trying to get his autograph they know they're going to win this it's not a rivalry it can't be a rivalry <laughs> Joe what what are your thoughts on it it's not a rivalry, it's just a grudge between... It is, um, it is and it'll last a year, and then we'll forget about it. It's it's just a grudge between um, Durant and Westbrook, that's all it is. It's, I'm with you, it has to be competitive. I think the best rivalry at the moment is Celtics-Wizards by quite a distance. I think that's going to be a good one for the next, hopefully the next decade, because that's where the NBA is lacking, is rivalries, I think. I don't think we've had a, a really good one for a while. Um the thing that concerns me about the Thunder is I'm with you there, Matt, that they they can only play one way. So if Draymond Green switches on to Westbrook, that's it. I like Oladipo, but he's not, for me, someone who who you give attention to if you're a defense. He's a streaky outside shooter and he drives into the paint. It's kind of like a glorified Dion Waiters in a way. Um, I also... I don't buy the Stephen Adams love either. I don't. Get, I don't get the fuss at all. I think he's a funny guy, and I think he's a hard player. But I don't think Stephen Adams is that good personally. They've they're just not very good. The Thunder. I don't like this. I don't know how they've got forty wins. How much damage do you think this game did to uh, Westbrook's MVP credentials? A lot. He was pretty abysmal I mean I don't think it should be a conversation anyway I think Harden is absolutely sprinting away into the sunset with the award he won't get it though because the league's obsessed with LeBron and everyone else for some reason James Harden just doesn't get that like he should have won it a few years ago I was quite vocal then I think Joe was as well that he was by far that the MVP that year and Steph Curry won it in the end because he's like the the league's darling love boy but um I think I don't, I don't know. I, I want James to win it again this year, but I, I don't know. I just can't see them not giving it to LeBron. Just to clarify, you you want James Harden to win it this year, not not LeBron James yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yep. Cool. Okay. Uh, no, that's a fair point. Um, and did either of you see the cupcake on crutches? Yes. <laughs> that, that made me chuckle. Uh, so the thing if, that really annoyed me about that game was just the fact that, like, we know once Russ is shut down you can't do much but they weren't even going out and chasing the shooters off the line like you, you, there was nothing it's it's a, it's that's why it can't be a rivalry because there's a mental issue with the Thunder they know they're not good enough they know they're going to go in there and they're going to get battered and they target Zaza Pachulia the whole game and literally get nowhere uh, you need, they need to come up with someone else and Billy Donovan's a smart man and they, they, they need, they're going to need some more players if they want to make this into any form of rivalry but you know it, that was the one game they should have won Kevin Durant wasn't playing that was the biggest chance they had of the season the Warriors have not been great since the All-Star break and you know the problem the, the biggest problem they had was that gave Stephen Curry his limelight and his moment and he had it 
and he, he shone with it and I think all that talk at the start of the, the beginning of the season and right up until Christmas where people were like what's wrong with Stephen Curry nothing's wrong with Stephen Curry he's just adapting and playing alongside another player who happens to probably be the best player on that team and they're going to get to the playoffs they're going to be fine like I have no worries for the Warriors once Durant is back but you know that is that's a big if and I, I wrote that there could be other teams that could switch the seeds but I, the Warriors have got so much going for them and there's a mentality issue with a lot of teams in this league who just go in to play certain teams like the Warriors and the Cavs and they think we're not going to win this so they don't bother and they get lazy on defence and you know the, the other team rains freeze on them so how how much adjustment do you think is going to be needed when KD comes back if he comes back which he's rumoured to be coming back for the playoffs I don't, well what do you mean, how long the adjustment period will be or? To, to, to bed him back into the team get everyone on the same I just page think, I think you're, I, I think they were right at the point of where they were there right before you know this team is has won 56 games but they're, they're not a bad team I just think KD knows what it takes when it gets to the playoffs he's, he's He's been there, he's done that, he's been to the finals. He'll just fit right in. And I think having added Matt Barnes to fill that gap gives him a little bit of spice because he was he was quite he's been quite hyped up for some of the games recently. And the re-emergence of JaVale McGee has been something that shocked me this season. I didn't think that was possible, but um I just, I think KD will just fit right back in. I think Steve Kerr's got this whole team. They've got such a good vibe about them. And, you know, as long as your players are happy and your coach is happy that we don't really get like the last few months we haven't had bad stuff come out of the, the Warriors locker room whereas the start of the season there was quite a few bit of things about Draymond and Mitz and Bobs but Draymond's getting his chance to shine now so they're all getting their turn Okay uh, so let's move on from an uncompetitive game with a scuffle to a competitive <laughs> overtime game with a full-blown punch-up um, Boxing match <laughs> but Yeah so the Raptors uh, beat the Bulls in overtime as you mentioned earlier uh, and Rolo and Ibaka got into a bit of fisticuffs <laughs> um, is it is it just me or do you think that uh, Lopez has just come a, got a bit soft because he's only been taking on mascots and then forgot that actual people punch back oh yeah his mascot feud <laughs> I don't know he reminds me of the. I, I, I haven't watched The Simpsons in years but who was the guy in The Simpsons Sideshow Side Bob. Bob that was it <laughs> reminds me of Sideshow Bob yeah it was it was a weird one for me it, it looked like well, they keep saying that Abaka sort of was nudging him first, but it, it really looks like a, a tiny shove. It's like yeah. I want the ball back. And it's, then they, uh, you've got to think that suspensions are coming from this and fines and and oh yeah, because there were some serious punches yelled, and then the camera zoomed in on Robin Lopez, and Robin Lopez was like effing, leave me alone or something. It was, I think yeah. it was getting quite scrappy. <laughs> so, so that could be a big cost for the Raptors really more than the Bulls because you know yeah. the, the Bulls are going to struggle to make the playoffs as it is and, and Rolo's not a star yes he's I, I like him I I think he's a great blue collar player but he's not he's not the kind of key player that a backer is for, for the Raptors um, yeah because they're still chasing that second seed as well exactly Joe what, what, what were your thoughts did you did you catch the fight <laughs> I did. I wasn't watching the game, but I... Um, you watched the fight? I was, flicking, <laughs> I, was, I was flicking through Twitter and I, I saw someone say fight in the Raptors game, so I immediately got out of bed and went to uh, change the game on uh, League Pass. Um, you got out of bed? Hang on, what? <laughs> yeah, I... Um, you broke your remote I, or something? <laughs> no, I used my laptop to watch League Pass, but I plugged it into the TV okay. for a HDMI, so... So that's the situation I'm in because PS4 don't have the NBA app. Oh, but I like Robin Lopez. Though. I I think he's 
I think that's what he is really. He's just kind of that rough player who goes around being aggressive. But I, I, I hope he doesn't keep. I hope he doesn't make a habit of punching people. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you don't want full blown fights all the time. But it, it like right at the start of the show, it was good to see um, a bit of a, a bit of sort of just wanting it and not this whole matey matey situation. It was spicy, we, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and that game, like, because I watched most of it, the Bulls were like 12, they had a double-digit lead, I seem to remember, when yeah, that fight occurred. Yeah, they did. And then the Raptors and that building just exploded, and it was like a playoff game, and DeRozan just went at Jimmy Butler and at everybody, and then Norman Powell got involved, and Carl Larry wasn't playing, was yelling on from the sidelines, and, the, you know, I, I generally think when, if Lowry comes back and once this, this Raptors team gets into the playoffs this year, I think they're going to be... They're going to be a tough team to beat because the additions they made with PJ Tucker and Sergio Barker, who I obviously haven't had a chance to speak about since I was ill, like they've made they've made such a difference to this team, and you know they beat Boston their first game together, and I just I think that the Raptors could be legit this year. Yeah, that they they look they look on paper like they'd be a great side, but I'm I'm worried as to how how Lowry's going to fit back in because he won't have played with these guys. He's he's got to get back into sort of game shape, and no matter what sort of practice you're doing, it's not the, it, you can't replicate that in-game adrenaline and things like that. I, so I, I worry whether if he's coming back in the playoffs, that's going to put them straight on the back foot. And we saw how much they struggled last year in the playoffs when they couldn't establish their identity. So I, I, on paper, they look great, but a bit deeper than that, I I have concerns about them going further than the second round. I think the East is just generally really interesting this year, like this year, because I think there's four teams there that can end up in a conference finals, and it, it it's it's quite scary how it's turned up. Because me and Joe at the start of the season, when we did our Eastern Conference preview, were like, you know, the Wizards could be really, really, really good, and then they started terribly, and it was like, oh god, that's the worst prediction ever. And then they've turned it right around, and yeah, the East is suddenly interesting. Yeah, I, to- I totally agree. Um, I think we've got some listener questions, haven't we? We have indeed. Exciting. Yeah, exciting stuff, listener questions. Um, right. We really need a jingle or something for the listener question section, don't we? I almost broke into song, but... <laughs> uh, please don't. <laughs> right, uh, This the first one was from Adam Montague, and he put, as a Knicks fan, I've been really surprised and happy with the development of... Uh, Willie Herman Gomez this season what are your thoughts on him uh, I'm going to just start it off I, I uh, we spoke about him quite a bit in the um, pre-season preview me and Joe I think he's got the ability to be an all-star kind of a centre like he's from a, a fabulous basketball background in Europe his family of practically basketball royalty his brothers him and his brother together I think it's it Juan who's at um, Denver yep. they are practically Juan. Yeah, Juan, sorry. <laughs> Spanish, not really my thing, as you can tell. Um, yeah, but they were, they're seen by the Spanish press as like the next Soul Brothers. And, you know, he won Eurobasket in 2015. He's won championships with the under 18 side in Spain. And I think him and Chris Stapps just work really well together. I mean, one of them's seven foot two, the other one's six foot 11. They've both, like I mentioned earlier, they're, they're brilliant young European centres who have learned offensive games he had a really ropey start to his sort of basketball career because he used to be on um, the, the sort of Eurobasket quite a bit he was with Madrid and then he went down to their B team and then he moved to Seville and he played really well in Seville and then that was how he was sort of he, he rose up to sort of young stardom as it was but I think Hornacek is probably one of the guys who's maybe 
stunting his growth a little bit, but um, he probably should be playing more minutes than he is. <laughs> That's pretty comprehensive. Sorry, uh, did I just wrap that up? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't you know, hand, hand on heart, I don't follow the Knicks too closely, generally because they're just not a team that I, I can get into. Um, <laughs> but his, his stats are solid. Like in 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 seventeen minutes, averaging over seven and six is 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 pretty damn good for a rookie. When you're coming out behind, well, you've got you've got Porzingis there. They like to play uh, mellow at the four a lot. It's, it, from what I have seen of him in the few games I have watched, he's looked pretty solid. And you know that's that's all I have to say on him. I I, I didn't follow him like back when he was in Madrid. Um, but he looks like he's got a bright future. I don't. I don't see him being a super superstar. But who knows? He's only a rookie. Do you think having a friendship off the court helps in so, sort of situation like that? Because like they're both, you know, Spanish. <laughs> who? What the brothers? You, oh, what? So, sorry. No. What am I on about? Kristaps in Spanish. No. I was, <laughs> no. He's. Uh, he's. Uh, if you. What's his name? He calls him Lativian. Uh, he, yeah, he's Latvian, isn't he? Oh, the guy on Bill Simmons' shows all the time. Yeah, can't remember his name. Annoys the hell no, out of me. No, I can't remember his name. We'll have to ask no, Ross. Ross yeah. or no? <laughs> I, I like Hernan Gomez. He looks like to me like a a small ball center. He's quite smooth. He's not awkward on the court. You know, like we were talking about Drummond earlier. He's the polar opposite of Drummond. Connects free throws. I think he's. It, it makes the Joakim Noah contract look even worse because Hernan Gomez looks like the long-term fit next to Chris Stapps in that front court, but they're paying Noah twenty-five million a year. So it's it's re- that must be really annoying for Knicks fans because they've got this great young centre on a rookie contract and they're paying Joakim like near to a max contract. I reckon Dolan must be really annoyed that he didn't like lobby with the other owners to get a, a clause put in this CBA, like in the last agreement, where you, you could waive one stupid contract you had. Because yeah. I bet if they'd have done that straight away, they'd be like, "See you, see you, Noah, no more." Um, yeah, this if if they can coexist, uh, Paul Zingas and, and Hernan Gomez in the front court, that that could be really interesting in a few years to have a a completely European uh, small ball front court would be quite interesting playing in the biggest market in the NBA yeah oh, that'd be cool Like that generally shows how far European basketball's come I think but they, they give you two guys you can build around like having Porzingis and Hernan Gomez in the front court that, then you can then you know where you're going and that's the biggest problem we've had with the Knicks the last few years is we haven't really known where they were going Chris Stapps emerged last year didn't get played very much and then this year he's been played a lot and we've we've really seen what he's capable of and he's he's the next big thing and they just have to trust their young guys. They just have to do what teams like I've mentioned earlier on, like Utah do, and just you know, if you're going to go with the young guys, go with it, and stop going and signing, you know, Derek Rhodes for a stupid amount of money, and then thinking you're going to trade into the Timberwolves. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I've got no more to add on Willie. No either. Poor Willie. Um, right, Dean Cookshank several questions here so we're going to try and um, break them down first of all thoughts on the Dwayne Wade injury people well at least it's not his knees <laughs> that, that was my immediate thought I think um, obviously you said earlier they need a scoring um, but I, I don't think it's too much of a surprise that he's injured yeah it's a different part of his body but this is a guy who since 2011 2011-12 uh, has only had this well last season where he got into the 70s he's had 
two seasons in the 60s, two in the 50s and one in the 40s. You just can't expect him to be in, you know, healthy for a season. It's just... And I, and I still wonder what the Bulls thought they could achieve with him. He's at that phase in the career where he's, he's being paid for his production in Miami, not on his current abilities. So, yeah, unfortunate injury, but that's Wade. It, looking at the Dwayne Wade injury just makes it even... You shared um, shared this on Twitter the other day, but Vince Carter, at 40 years old, still getting up and dunking. Like, It just makes you wonder what on earth is in whatever he's been eating or drinking because he's still at a really good level for the age he is. He's 40 years. He's five years older than Dwayne Wade. And literally, like Vince gets injured and he just bounces straight back from it. <laughs> it's, it's, he's, like, he's a phenom. It's just incredible. But I think, I think the Bulls are this is probably one of the best things that could happen because it gives Jimmy Butler the extra minutes and we just see where they can go and it gives Rondo a bit of a chance to shine and sort of, I don't know, redeem himself if, if that's a thing. But the Bulls have got a huge summer coming up. Massive summer. There's quite a lot of guys who aren't on contract. I think there's going to be four guys on contract come July. Um, so And they've, they're going to have to draft well as well. But they're in luck because if they can get themselves a decent pick whether that be by trade or, or however the draft falls, then, you know, this, this draft is, is point guard heavy from what I gather. And I think that's probably the position they need to really look at. On on the subject of contracts, do you think, you know, Wade's got an option. Do you, would you opt out in his position, knowing your age and physical ability and how much money the Bulls are willing to pay you next year? I think if he cares about the Bulls as a franchise and their future, then he will opt out because it just gives them more options. But... It's Dwayne Wade. I don't think he's going to do that. I think he's had enough of not taking, you know, the money. The one thing I'm seeing is a lot of people think he's going to return to Miami, but that's never going to happen. Pat Riley will never take him back, just no. because he's not worth the money anymore. You know, if Wade rang him up and said, "Yeah, I'll take eight million dollars next year," I'm sure Riley would take. It, but what's he being paid this year? About twenty? Is it twenty-five million? Yeah, he's earning yeah, this year? it's about that. So he he's he's not worth that anymore. The Bulls are better, statistically, they're better when he's on the bench, by offensively and defensively. Yeah. So, and that's not me saying he's rubbish. He's still decent, but he's not. He he needs to go to a dumb team because only dumb teams are going to pay him that kind of money. <laughs> well, all he needs to follow through with the um the the idea in the summer with Denver. I generally think if he just played one final year in Denver and helped the young guards that they've got there, Jamal Murray, etc. I think he'd have a huge influence and that is it. If I think if he wants to leave any form of a legacy besides his legacy in Miami, he can go and, I don't know, maybe help push Denver into the playoffs if they don't make it this season. But yeah, I, I, like if I was the Bulls, if I was a Bulls fan, I'd probably be hoping he didn't want to stay another year. <laughs> <laughs> Just free up the extra spot. Um, right, the second question was, is D'Angelo Russell maturing in his sophomore year? I think maybe I mean I'm a Lakers fan so I don't really know I can talk about this without being biased but um, D'Angelo's a, a weird one for me especially with the draft coming up this year and all the rumours that the Lakers will take Lonzo Ball like I'm not huge into my college like Joe's our college guy but from what I gather like Lonzo Ball is a is a pretty talented young kid and if the Lakers get him if, if they end up with a second pick and he falls they're in for an odd one because he's he plays the same position as D'Angelo Russell and yeah, D'Angelo was supposed to be this next great thing. You know, Magic Johnson was like he's really similar to me, and I don't necessarily know if we've we've seen it. The thing I've put in my notes is he just lacks consistency, and he's sort of 
been overshadowed this year, especially by sort of Julius Randle and Zubac, other guys who are showing really steady improvement and are becoming res- like consistent, reliable guys. You can get you like you know ten points or twelve rebounds or whatever a night. Whereas Russell, he's so flaky. Like if you look at his last seven games. Last night, 18 against the Clippers, 40 against the Cavs before, but Kyrie Irving can't defend, so that's why. 14 against Milwaukee, 5 against Houston, 10, 10 against Denver. Like He just is not consistent, and I don't, I, I really don't know. It's going to be an interesting summer for the Lakers to, to see what they want to do, but the, the skill set is there. He's still young. He's got time to develop, but the case is the Lakers need it now. And I'm I'm not entirely sure they're getting it now. I think Jordan Clarkson's shown a better progression since he joined the league. Yeah, that's what worries me about Russell as well. He seems to drift in and out of games. Yeah, it's like he, you know, he isn't focused. Like I'm going to compare him to Zach Levine, who's our yeah. young sort of scorer. But Zach Levine is consistently putting up, well, before he got injured, he was consistently putting up 20 points a night. He was shooting over 40% from three. And what I liked about Levine is he could play on and off the ball. I'm not I'm not seeing enough off the ball from sorry, on the ball from Russell at the moment. I think he can play off the ball and be that spot up shooter, but if if they do take Lonzo ball, I think Walton will run with both of them for one year. But I think if it doesn't work, I mean I'm saying this now, Ball is a lot better than Russell was coming out of college. Uh he obviously his dad's a pain in the ass. But <laughs> forget, forgetting all that he is a really good player. And, and Luke Walton's offense can get the best out of those kind of guards. But if it doesn't pan out, I think Russell is going to be the one that goes first. Yeah, uh, f- for me, my, my first reaction to the question was it's not really difficult for him to have matured this year given the uh, the Nick Young yeah, blow-up last, last year. year. Um, his stats, uh, they've gone from 13.2 and 3.3 assists to 15.4 and 4.7 assists. Wow, <laughs> you know, I'm not really blown away by those. This is yeah. this is a guy who's got the the keys to the franchise. Essentially, you'd expect him to be doing something because there's not. I mean, let, let's be frank. There's a lot of young talent on that team, but there's not a lot of like league leading talent. There's 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 opportunities on that team for someone to just go off. And like you say, he's not consistent. His his stats don't blow me away. And if if whatever spot the Lakers get, if you know, I think they're they're top three protected, isn't it? And they lose the pick that goes outside <laughs> yeah. that. If they get one yeah. of the top three spots, at least two of those guys are supposed to be point guards. You, you've got to take a point guard, and I, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if they end up moving him on in the summer because this, they like this new guy better. Yeah, he's. All, I think because of his age as well, he's also a bit more valuable. He, he you could get something either that or they will shop the pick that they get this summer. But I think this this draft is so stacked at certain positions that they they might not do that but if you go on um, tankathon.com which is a website uh, the Lakers are currently in the running for the second pick with the Suns behind them um, the Lakers have lost six in a row I can't see that getting any different in the next few days but for me just going back to like looking at the Lakers young roster as a whole I just think Julius Randle has got so he's the guy who's amazed me considering the start of the NBA career he had when he broke his leg you know, opening night. He's just come on leaps and bounds. He's the guy who I look at that roster right now and I think, is there anybody next year who could average a double double? It's, it's Julius Randle. Like it isn't anybody else. And I think Brandon Ingram the last few months, certainly since Embiid's gone out of the rookie race, has really just come alive. He's going to be an exceptional young player. And I think that, that I think Luke 
taking the decision to, to bench Mozgov and, and Deng and leave them out for the rest of the season is going to be really smart come the end of it. I know it's <laughs> I know it looks like it is a tank. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Like, like you, you drop them out, we tank. But this gives those guys a, a chance to shine, and I just think that D'Lo's got a bit of um, yeah. He just has to show that he's got more consistency in him over the next couple of you know how many games we got. We got what two, three weeks left, which is incredible because it feels like the NBA goes on forever. Um, but yeah, I, I just he needs the consistency, man. If he wants to be the franchise player of the Los Angeles Lakers. He's got to be better than he is. Yep. And the third question, <laughs> Dean, um, was who will grab the final playoff spots, which I think we kind of covered earlier on. Uh, we yeah, covered I'll the East, I'll didn't I'll we? I'll just rattle through mine again. So I think the Hawks are fine at five. I think it'll be Pacers, Heat, then Bucks. Um, yeah, I think the Bucks are playing well. I mean, they're eight and two in their last ten. Heat are twenty-four and six since January. And the Pacers, they got Paul George, who's probably the best player that any of the chasing pack have. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with that. And in the West, top seven obviously is uh, sealed. I think Portland will sneak in ahead of Denver. Yeah, I think yeah. Denver. I think Denver are a bit rocky. They've got Portland have more home games as well, which I think is. I think they've got ten home games. Portland, so. That's an advantage for me. I, I really hope the uh, the Rocky reference was a deliberate pun on the, the mountain <laughs> range. That, that was that was great. Uh, but yeah, I, I I I agree. Top seven are sealed in the West. I don't want Portland to get in. I just I just feel that they need a bit of a slap and a wake up call. And I think if they get, <laughs> if they get into the, if they get into the playoffs, then they're going to think that they, this season was some sort of success. And to be honest, it's been a, a, a miserable failure. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I don't you know. I said about the East earlier. I don't see a lot of change. If there's any change, I think Chicago might sneak it. But I think we're almost settled now. Yeah, I think Chicago will grab the eighth seed in the East, and I, yeah, I, I'd probably go with the Blazers like like Joe. But um, Denver, if they match up with Golden State, man, that's going to be an interesting one. Right, that's my, that's the two questions I've got. Right, uh, this one I'm going to do Captain Kirk's first. So. Do you think technology can improve the game? Rest being able to view replays has become the norm. But what next? Well, one thing they need to do, it's not got to do with technology. We touched on this last They need to get rid of those stupid two-minute two reviews. <laughs> They're the biggest waste of time in sport history. Other than that, I don't... It's like football at the moment, for example. Technology is the big debate because referees are making mistakes every game. I don't think the NBA is quite as in a perilous position as that. But obviously, the NBA is the leading. It's the only well-run league in America. So, if if any league is going to embrace more technology, it's the NBA. The NBA has a tech summit every year. Like that's their thing. Yeah. I, it, I think it was in New Orleans in, in February this year, and every year they go, they have tech summits about whether it's you know trying to stream NBA games over Twitter or using Facebook to stream live games, like they did with the uh, the London game. They're always really ahead of the curve when it comes to to technology I wouldn't be surprised if we saw maybe a little bit more sort of video tech coming in during the playoffs for certain gate for, for some of those games because the last few years and some of the finals we've had some funny calls but um, yeah like Joe said I think there's not too much wrong with the way the league is, is officiated at the moment I, I 
I agree in terms of the officiating. I know they're looking to expand the pool, but uh, the, the referees' pool and, and try and improve the standards in general. But I think in terms of tech, there was a great interview with Steve Barmer the other week where he uh, he talks about the sort of tech he sees coming in, and he was you know owner of the Clippers and a, a huge. Uh, part of Microsoft too. Yeah. yeah huge part of Microsoft and he's talking about uh, essentially cameras that give you the the view of a certain player so you can elect and his reference was like you know you can have Chris Paul cam and things like that oh, um, <laughs> and it's really interesting because it's something that I've been following for a couple of years there's a Spanish company called First Vision which Serge Ibaka is a big investor of uh, and they have ref cams uh, in EuroLeague, and last season they actually trialled in in a EuroLeague game player cams as well. And they're basically like you know, we've got all these guys wearing compression vests now, and these compression vests just have a tiny little um, camera in the like front, a lens that, camera, yeah, yeah, which then sticks through the jersey, and the battery pack is between your shoulder blades, so you don't really notice it. And it's it's you know quite small. Well, I say it's quite small. Serge Ibaka's modelling it. It's could be huge. <laughs> um, and it's it's quite interesting, but it's I think it's it's got to be something like where you got picture in picture because you know you know you have the full screen, you have the little one with the uh, with the, the first person view because it's have you seen the film Hardcore Henry? Yeah, yeah, the first person one. Yeah, yeah. that that takes a bit of getting used to. So if you can imagine on a basketball court where everything's moving in a small space, and it, if you watch the, the 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 test videos they've got on the First Vision site, it's all a bit chaotic but i think there's there's room to develop things like that and it's just That'd more really about trippy yeah no it really is um but it's worth checking out because there are there are companies out there trialing stuff um in terms of other tech uh at the all-star game adam silver was was uh he did a he did like a presentation with langston galloway and he had him wearing these they look like heart rate monitor pads all over him and basically they could tell him based on his heart rate, based on what food he'd eaten that day, which it could detect he'd only had two cups of coffee in some weird freakish black magic kind of way. Um, it could also, it, it basically, based on the room he was in and the lighting, it would it predicted his percentage chance of making a shot and stuff like that. So that the NBA is, is looking into and exploring all these weird tech things to help, you know, not only from a fan's point of view looking at the game, but also from a... A performance point of view as well so i think there are things that we haven't even thought about that they're you know waist deep in already looking into yeah they like players for some games don't they they select yeah. certain players who, who want to get might so they're very unique in the way they do that and the camera thing sounds really cool because in rugby i know the six nations have been on the last few weeks like the the referee has a camera and you can you can hear what he's saying and you can obviously see what's going on the, from his view but um no, I think the NBA is always really far ahead of its game. It's really great at sort of social interactions, bringing direct-to-consumer content. Like it is, it's there within seconds of it happening. And last year they did a 360-degree video from the NBA Finals, and they were the they were the first American broadcaster to broadcast any sports in 4K, um, which is becoming like the well will take over from from 1080p HD eventually. Uh, and they're, they're always there um, whether it affects what's going on in the court I don't know but the way they track stats and things like that is just in- incredible you've got these cameras on the sidelines that can pick up how far a players run each game and yeah, it's just bonkers and other sports are taken from it you know the Premier League's got more and more stat driven the last few years and yeah is that it for we're ready f- is that that one answered yeah I think we've covered that one all right, so we got Mac Buckets, who's a regular question asker. Um, I just need to actually double check. 
Right, so it's it's essentially about resting players again. So it says, how far can the league go with issuing penalties? So my take on that is, it reminds me of what happened in football at the start of the year with the um, the football league trophy. I know neither of you are massive football fans, but did you got do you guys know what I'm talking about? Not got a clue. Or do you have? <laughs> no, right, I'm, so, a, I'm a bit lost. I don't mind my football, right, but I don't know what you're on about. <laughs> so they brought in the football league trophy and they put B teams, the Premier League teams, in. And the teams, so the the lower league teams weren't allowed to make a certain amount of changes. So they were essentially being regulated on what they couldn't couldn't do. I think that's bad. You know, I'm not for that. I don't see how Adam Silver can come out and go, yeah, uh, Ty Lu, I'm going to fine you $50,000 because you rested LeBron away in, I don't know, Phoenix or Memphis. I, that's That's like... Dict- that's a dictatorship yeah because they, they don't pipe up when it's uh, Greg Popovich and the Spurs oh hold, whoa hold on though because Greg Popovich was fined 250000 by David Stern for resting players that was years ago <laughs> yeah I know but still that's a precedent <laughs> set isn't it I just don't I don't know how you can do that there's it's one of these issues that we're going to probably discuss a lot on this podcast for the next two years. Yeah. There's no solution. The, my, the only solution for me is if people buy the tickets for expensive and they're expensive in advance, uh, you refund them or give them an offer on future games. Because it'd be like if you it'd be like you let's say Matt buys tickets to go and watch Norwich at the weekend and two oh, of their best fun. players get injured. <laughs> yeah, it's not fun at the moment, but let's say two of Norwich's best players get isn't that part of the isn't that part of it? Like there's you might get unlucky and you might not get to see the best players. That's that's just life. Yeah. The know? thing is yeah, to to put it in our perspective, like NBA London, I don't know, someone comes over here like the paces like like this year, like come over and they don't play Paul George, for example. Like you'd you would all be a bit pissed off. Um but I don't know how there's a way you can like. I think he's suggesting that you could warn the the fans that the players aren't playing or something. I don't think there's any way you'd be able to judge that, and it just brings into question this whole shortening the season thing. And I think Steve Kerr came out yesterday and and said, you know, he'd take happily take half his wages if they shortened the the regular season or something something along those lines. I mean, I'm going to go out a bit here, but like Mike, you've watched the league longer than I have. Has this been a thing? Because I don't remember it being a thing in like the the the, the, the late sort of 2000s and then sort of LeBron joined Miami and I think was rested for a game and then all of a sudden it became a like a national sensation <laughs> it, it's, it wasn't the similar it wasn't quite as overt um, it's, it's a weird one like in general anyway the, the minutes that players log has, has trended downwards for a long time now so like now we've got guys running at 37 38 minutes and we think that's a lot whereas if you go back a few years you had guys logging like 40 plus a game it's it's a lot i think this is actually a a byproduct of all these advancements in technology because uh ty Lu was saying the other day that the reason they rested lebron uh was to do with something called and I, i'm gonna have to listen to it again but it was really it called it called a red zone check and i thought red zone that's to do with football what, you know american football what's going on uh but apparently they, <laughs> they have all these like uh statisticians and and algorithms and stuff like that which basically say he's done x y and z his chances of injury has increased by yeah. whatever amount and so it's a lot of that sort of just predictive you know playing your odds sort of thing yeah. but it's 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 weird to me that it's it's now flaring up because this isn't the first time it's been done this year by the Cavs. Um, 
it, it, it needs to be addressed. I think that by shortening the preseason, um, which they're, they're doing from next year, then that's going to reduce the amount of back-to-back games, which should see a reduction in this. But other than that, I think it's uh, if people are being rested, there's supposed to be strict sort of mandates about um, letting the other team know, letting the media know, that sort of thing. I think they perhaps need to be a bit strict. So if you know you're going to rest someone, then you if you're if you know if there's no legitimate reason for it i think fans should get some kind of reimbursement because it's not fair that guys in la and this is particularly you know with the la clippers where half the the fans are, are, are road fans they're not they're not there for the clippers um they'll have paid specifically to go and see lebron and maybe that's you know the f- first and only time they'd have got to see him and they don't get to see him and they've already paid higher than the average you know, same seat ticket price. They, they'll they'll pay above what they would if they were playing um, the Nets, <laughs> and it's just not fair. It, it's not fair on the fans, and it reflects badly on the league. So I think something needs to be done, and that's the only way I can see it being done is is if is if you give them some kind of you know discount off the fee they've paid already. It's it's a I horrible think- thing to sort though. Yeah, the thing that like it seems to always be the end of the, like the second half of the season towards the end as we're getting towards the playoffs that a lot of the players are rested and it's just like, well, if you're a fan, surely like if your team's wrapped up a playoff spot, then you're always going in with that risk and that knowledge that someone isn't going to play. And I think you know you can't just constantly go as the league's fault because it isn't. But the league is there to provide a product and fans pay for the product and you know however many millions they get from from league pass and stuff, we're all tuning in to watch the games and. You know we're halfway across the world, and we want to tune in and watch LeBron and guys like that. And he ends up sitting on the bench. It, it is disappointing, and it has to change. And everyone goes on about the, the schedule being cut down from eighty-two games. It's not going to happen for a long, long while. Like, yeah, it's not while the money's it, this good. No, and the tradition is there, and you know teams in the nineties just got on with it, and teams in the early two thousands just got on with it, and players just played through it. Like there's been periods where players are taking rest and you're kind of sitting there thinking well why the hell are they resting like you know why can't they rest when they have a 25 point lead on on another team or something like that it was it's that whole tips thing where tips just used to play everyone and run them into the ground no matter how big their lead was it was just yeah (laughs) I, i wonder whether we won't see the actual true benefits of resting players until like 10 15 years time when they've retired because you know like steve kerr is he he didn't log heavy minutes during his career but he he is a broken man his back is ruined you know he's he's, and he's not the only guy loads of retired players you know shuffle they don't walk they their body is that broken down so it's i wonder if that's the sort of thing we're going to see is you know the biggest effect yeah they're just they're just healthier in later life maybe yeah i think the longer we go the more and more we're learning about the body it's just you know look what happened with me like you know 25 years ago that would have been probably been a, a lot more difficult than it was now but it's just the way medicine and, and tech is and and when your player is insured for however many millions of dollars and you know he is your priority like if james harden goes down for the houston rockets they're stuffed so you know that's the way it is but the the only thing i think there's a lot of hypocrisy over resting because like you Fibido was mentioned a minute ago a lot of people kind of have a go at Fibido for playing his players 40 minutes a night but then all of a sudden they're mad that Tyron Lue decides to rest uh, LeBron James and Kevin Love or, yeah. you know, David Fisdale wants to rest Mark Gasol or whatever. It's just, it's, it's, hypo- it's hypocritical. Like, <laughs> you can't, you can't have it both ways. I mean, I'm a, 
I'm a big fan of um, of Thibodeau's methods, but it does frustrate me sometimes seeing him keep Wiggins in when we're up by 20 at some point. It's so I understand it's about finding the right balance, but I I really don't. If there was a solution to this, Adam Silver would have found it already because mm-hmm. he seems to he's the best, in my opinion, the best commissioner that I've seen in any of the leagues I follow. I follow four or five sports. He's the best by a mile. He, everything that comes out of his mouth is great. But if he can't find a solution, I don't think there is one. So people are just sadly going to have to suck it up and realise that they might not get to see LeBron James in Brooklyn or Denver. That's that's just the reality of it. You know, at least they can go to games. We can't go to games in America. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. At least they can and go to suck the it games. Up. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, has anyone got anything they want to add? Have we got any? Well, I think that's it for questions, isn't it? Yeah, that was, we had a, that was a well. We had four people saying questions in, but I think we got about six questions from the four. So fair enough. All right, in that case, we'll we'll wrap it up there. But uh, thank you for listening. Uh, If you haven't already, hit subscribe on whichever uh, podcast listening device you listen through. Uh, If you're on iTunes, go and leave us a review. That would be much appreciated. If you don't follow us on Twitter or haven't liked us on Facebook, find us at Double Clutch UK, and that's on both of them. Uh, We'll catch you next time.